for his gimmicks and stuff. Okay. Like the one for this movie is Illusiono. Okay. And another one was Percepto. I thought it'd be really funny to say like, this podcast is brought to you by audio. <laughs> <laughs> There's my dad joke for the episode. <laughs> Good dad joke. Let's not make that a normal thing. <laughs> All right. First podcast of the year. We are starting off with a William Castle movie. I was going to call this like our William Castle series, but then I realized that we're only really doing one William Castle movie and the rest are Dark Castle movies. Aw, that's sad. I like William Castle. Yeah, this was uh, this was fun. It was. Um, but we'll, I don't know, we'll have time to do other ones. I really hope we talk about William Castle in this podcast. Like, himself. Like, who he was. I got some notes here. Good. We can uh, we can talk about it. Welcome to Bad Movie Date Night, the podcast in which we take a serious look at bad films and genre films and hopefully give them the credit they deserve. I am Nigel from com, and with me is my wonderful wife, Caitlin. Hi, everyone. And this week... We are kicking off our new year with the 1960 film 13 Ghosts, directed by William Castle and written by Rob White, starring a lot of people. Not really a lot of people, but they're old people, and I don't recognize anything that they're from because I don't watch enough movies from the 1960s I know, earlier. and we, we should. 1950s, 1960s, yes, please. I have a hard enough time catching up with movies that came out this year. I know, like, but... There's just there's too many movies. Can we just pause life and catch up on all the movies? Or just make this a full-time job, <laughs> which would be the dream. Uh, so, yeah, 13 Ghosts, directed by William Castle. Where do we begin with this movie or William Castle? I think... We should begin with my favorite part. It was an experience to watch this movie, and I loved it. I don't think Caitlin has ever had such joy on her face <laughs> watching a movie. I thought it was so much fun. It kept me awake, too, because I was like, oh, when when do I need these glasses? Yeah. It was really fun. I thought it was... Silly and fun, and and it made the movie-going experience that much more grand. I'll admit I have more of a knowledge of William Castle and his movies than actually seeing the movies themselves, which I imagine is what a lot of people are like, maybe. Or maybe I'm in the minority. Who knows? Right. 
Uh, so watching this with the gimmick, which is pretty much what William Castle is known for, was entertaining. Mm-hmm. I also liked the story more than uh, House on Haunted Hill, which is the only other William Castle movie that we've seen, unfortunately. I enjoyed both stories. Yes. And I noticed a theme between the two of them that I would be very curious if that is in other movies. Now, I know what you're probably saying. Nigel, these aren't bad movies. And you're right. They're not bad movies. They're a product of their time. Are they a little campy today? Yes. Are there big jumps in plot? Absolutely. But uh, we need to talk about this one before we can talk about our next couple movies. I don't know what you're talking about. There's no jumps in plot. We'll get there. I don't think so. Okay. So, (laughs) William Castle. Let's talk about him for a second. Just going to spit out some knowledge for you real quick. He dropped out of high school at the age of 15. He became an assistant stage manager for the traveling play of Dracula, which had Bela Lugosi in it. He uh, vandalized a theater and released a fake telegram in order to promote a fake German play that he'd written in under 48 hours. (laughs) He moved to Hollywood when he was 23, and he directed his first film in 1943 called The Chance of a Lifetime. And I forgot to go back and put in the plot of that movie. Uh, that's pretty much it. That's Those are the cliff notes that you need to know about William Castle. The big major one, though, is, like we've mentioned, he was a PR genius. And it resulted in some gimmicky things in his movies. So do you think he did these things because he wanted the the money from the PR stunt, so to say? Or do you think he, he had like a love for film and movies and and wanted to make the movie watching experience so much more fantastical? He once called himself in his autobiography the P.T. Barnum of B pictures or B movies. I think that's the exact quote. I think he both loved the idea of taking movies in a new, fun, and interesting direction. And I think he also enjoyed, with like the PR stuff, I should say. But I also think that he did have a love of movies and entertainment. I really hope that that's true. I want him to just be such a lover of film that he decided you know that he was just so excited about his ideas and like wanted the audience to really experience the film in a new way yes and according to uh to jason zinneman in his book shock value get to spit some of my mad knowledge that i learned (laughs) in the last year with this one uh he did eventually in his career want to take a more serious turn he mortgaged his house for the second time in his career to purchase the rights for uh rosemary's baby and he wanted to direct it himself and he wanted it to be his like big foray into real horror instead because at this like at the time that rosemary's baby came out people were tired of like the gothic ish 
haunted house ghost stories that he had become famous for. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to do something serious, Mm -hmm. but because of everything else that he had done, the producers working at, uh, shoot, that Paramount, they insisted that they hire Roman Polanski instead, Mm -hmm. an up-and-coming star and trendsetter for the 1970s. I want to see a William Castle Rosemary Baby movie. I would be very curious to see what that movie is like, especially after seeing this in Haunted House Mm -hmm. or House on Haunted Hill. But I think maybe we'd have to watch some of the stuff he did later in the 60s just because I feel like that would be a better idea of what his style would have been like Mm -hmm. at the time that he wanted to do Rosemary's Baby. Mm -hmm. Maybe I would like Rosemary's Baby if he did it. I, we really need to give it another chance. I don't I don't think I don't think I'll ever like it. I don't think we were prepared for it at the time. I think we had different expectations for it going into it. And now that we know more of what it is, we should give it another try. Okay. We'll and see. That's what maybe I have to say maybe about we'll that. Wa- we'll do it for the podcast. I think we would make a lot of people very angry if we did it for the podcast. Well, you're allowed to have different opinions in the world, right. everyone. So you're allowed to have pants. different opinions, but yeah. We'll <laughs> anyways, let's talk about some of the uh, some of the other gimmicks that he's coming up, and then we'll we'll uh, ad- talk about the one for this one. The one that the actually the the gimmick for Thirteen Ghosts I think is a personal favorite of mine. Yeah, I would definitely agree. So, for his movie Macabre, which came out in 1958, he mortgaged his house for the first time and gave audience members certificates for a $1,000 life insurance policy from Lloyd's of London, quote, in case they should die of fright. And they also put nurses and nurses in the lobby, and they would park hearses in front of the theaters. Stop it. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, for House on Haunted Hill, this is when he started to use his fun little names for things. He, uh, it was called Emergo or Emergo or I, I don't know how to pronounce that. I would love to know. But basically at the end of the movie when Vincent Price or when the skeleton comes out of the closet, uh, an actual, a skeleton would like come rise above the audience with wires and like glowing red eyes. That that might kill me a fright. At seeing a plastic skeleton float yeah, across the audience. If I didn't know that was happening, I'd be like, <gasps> Yeah, scary. that's true. Uh, the Tingler, which was called Percepto, he attached buzzers to certain chairs in the theaters. And at the end of the movie, they would vibrate. And because in the movie, the creature gets loose in the theater. Mm-hmm. It's a weird fourth wall break. And uh, the idea in the movie is that the tingler will, like, drop off of people with fear when they scream. So when the tingler gets loose in the movie, Vincent Price yells at the audience to scream for your lives. (laughs) Which I'm sure, like, if your chair just started buzzing in the middle of that. You might scream for your life. Yeah, exactly. Um, We'll skip over 13 Ghosts. For his movie Homicidal... 1961 they had a fright break at the end and a timer would appear on the screen near the climax and audience members had 45 seconds to leave 
and if they told them that they were absolutely terrified, then they would get a full refund, Ugh. which caused a lot of problems because right. people would just like leave and right get their money. <laughs> right. Uh, they printed different colored tickets eventually for different showtimes, and uh, then they changed it to a coward's corner, which was a yellow pathway that people had to walk down in front of the audience and they were forced to hold a sign that said, I'm a bona fide coward. <laughs> For Mr. Sardonicus in 1961, the audience members could vote on the fate of the villain at the end of the movie. And they actually oh. had two endings, but most people uh, didn't see the other ending. And at drive-in movie theaters, people could flash the lights on their car to vote which ending they wanted. That is pretty cool. And then... For 13 Frightened Girls, which came out in 1963, they had a worldwide search for the prettiest girls from different countries. And then in those respective countries, there was a slightly different version of the movie that would highlight the girls that were for them from that country. So did he like um, talk? You know how in 13 Ghosts, it starts with him addressing the audience? I don't think he always did that. Okay. I think that was just kind of a... We, I, we'd have to watch more of them, but mm -hmm. I think that's just kind of a unique thing. That was pretty cool. I think this man's a genius. I mean, if studios did this kind of stuff today, I'd be all about it. Mm -hmm. But instead, all they have to do is just release a a rumor to a newspaper saying that people died watching a movie and... All of a sudden, the world's like, oh, it's the scariest movie ever made. <laughs> right. I no, I seriously think he's so smart and clever. And I mean, for dropping out of school at the age of 15 and then being able to create such PR stunts like he did. And I mean, I don't know how well his movies did. I'm going to say probably not that great because he had to, you know, take out several mortgages and whatnot. But he only did that a few times. I think most of these movies did actually fairly well financially because, you know, people bought into the hype of them. And at the time, it's okay. like, what else do they have to compare it to? Well, that's awesome. I mean, I think that's... It makes me frustrated with the way that movies are today because now you just have to slap the name Marvel on the movie and you can make a billion dollars in a day, you know? But back then people were so into, I don't know. It was just like, it was, it was an event to go to the movies. Yeah. And he really added to that. I feel like. I don't disagree. And I mean, even now, like, you know, what's the gimmick is just, Oh, we put three different Spider-Man in a movie and right. people are like, this is crazy. You've mm -hmm. never done this before. Mm -hmm. And you know, here we are. You just don't see many directors today having that same creativity, I feel like, people had back then. I'm not saying all directors today. I'm just saying it seems to me like more directors today are less creative than back then. Yeah. I would say that the equivalent today is either on the one hand, with blockbusters making them bigger, greater, 
more fantastic, more characters, more explosions, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Or you have people on the other end of the spectrum who I would say are a little bit more artistic to follow our conversation from last week who enjoy the spectacle of cinema but want to do it with a grand story in the vein of the Christopher Nolans and the Denis Villeneuve's and et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's talk about the gimmick for 13 Ghosts, which is pretty ingenious, although there were, in my opinion, several missed opportunities to use it in the movie. Mm -hmm. It was called Illusiono. And essentially, during certain segments of the movie, the screen would shift from black and white to blue, and you had a pair of, I don't really want to call them glasses, but that's like a viewer of sorts. And it had two lenses in it, a blue one and a red one. And you could watch the scene through either lens. And if you watched it through the blue lens, the ghosts would disappear and you wouldn't see the ghost on the screen. If you watched it through the red one, it would actually make the ghosts appear more vividly, which was pretty freaking cool. It really was. I loved it. I just kept like putting it up to my face, hoping I'd see a ghost by surprise. Yeah. Kaylin kept putting <laughs> it up during the black and white scenes, and I kept telling her that she wasn't going <laughs> to see anything, but she tried anyway. I just, I wanted to so bad. Let's just rip the bandaid off real quick on why this was slightly disappointing. What? Oftentimes, it was just like a shot of the kitchen or a wall, and the ghost was just kind of chilling on top of it. So you never actually saw the ghost interact with anything physical that was like in the room. True. So knowing before we watched the movie what this was, I was kind of hoping, you know, you might see like a can like the scene where the the uh, the kitchen's destroyed. Mm -hmm. Like I thought, oh, like you could see like choose to see the ghost picking up the milk or you could like watch <laughs> it without. But no, it was just like. It was just uh, ghosts on like an empty room with ghosts, like a ghost lion or yeah. a ghost Italian chef. I thought the ghost lion part was just so cool. It was silly, but it was neat. I thought it was so cool because the lion tamer kept put, like trying to look for his head in the lion's mouth. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, that was <laughs> weird. I... There aren't many memorable ghosts in this movie. I don't know. I liked the lion and the lion tamer, and I liked the chef. Right, but like name other ghosts. Like I guess there's the one that kept chopping off the head. Right at the fireplace. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's the ghost that was on fire. The big fiery ball that just no, kind of. But there was that one too. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I guess there was like the hanging ghost too. Mm -hmm. See. All the ghosts are memorable. Fun fact, there are, in fact, 13 ghosts <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> and fun fact, I did count them all. Yeah, I, I counted them all when I was preparing for this. They actually show you yeah, 12 the, at the beginning of the right. movie. Because the mystery is like, oh, who's going to be the 13th ghost? And, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. So here is... Uh, 
Oh, yeah. I also thought that the Italian chef ghost was slightly racist. Mm. I mean, not racist, but... Stereotypical. Stereotypical. Like, it looked like they pulled a mascot off, like, a Chef Boyardee can. Yeah. Because it had a comically large mustache and just, like, a big chef hat. Yeah. And it that was it. kind of looked like a Muppet. Yes. I was mm-hmm. like, is this the Swedish chef of yeah. ghosts? Kind of looked like it. Yes. I thought that the story overall was very interesting, though. Uh, mm-hmm. Comparing this, to going off of the only other William Castle movie that we we know, House on Haunted Hill, I like that it's ambiguous whether or not... Well, this one makes it very clear that the ghosts are real. Mm-hmm. But in typical uh, old haunted house fashion, the real villains aren't the ghosts. Yeah. I liked that. I liked how you could care about the characters too, but I feel like that might be specific to me because anytime you put me in a 1950s style house, I already love all the characters. So I don't know if it's just me or if they did a good job with it, but I was invested in everyone. I was like, I want this family to live. I mean, I was invested, but I mean, probably not to the same level that you were. It was very efficient in setting up this family Mm -hmm. and their woes. Yeah. Like within... Okay, so the the movie opens up with William Castle explaining to you how to use the viewer. Mm-hmm. Um, also, shout out to some guy on Reddit who actually remade the viewers and was selling them on eBay because oh, that's where we got ours. One? Yeah. Oh, oh, he didn't remake the ghost one though. Well, they had different versions of them. So, like, oh. they had the ghost one, but then they had ones that <laughs> looked like ours. You didn't buy the ghost one? They didn't, I didn't look for them. I just uh. saw that the guy was selling uh. these, and so I bought them. Uh, the and then I bought one. the movie later. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you got these with a the movie. That's fascinating. No, I, I got them separately, and then I had to make sure that I was buying the right uh, copy. That's very cool. Yeah, there's a dual uh, two-pack movie of 13 ghosts and 13 frightened women that you can buy on Amazon. I think it was like 12 bucks. And uh, that version has the blue and red scenes that work with the glasses. In case you... I, I wish I could remember the guy on Reddit because I want to give him all the business for making yeah. those glasses. Uh, what was I... Where, okay, so William Castle, he tells you how to use the glasses or whatever. And then you see the third and then you like are introduced to the family. And within seconds, you're like, oh, snap, they're completely broke and they're losing all of their furniture. Yeah, that was sad. And it's their son's birthday. Yeah, that was very sad. Like, oh, what better way to celebrate your birthday than losing your furniture? Yeah. And you know what his birthday wishes for a house with furniture? Yeah. (laughs) It's so sad. But it is oddly specific that he wish for a house with furniture and not their furniture back. Right, right. And then, of course, the family inherits this house from uh, Uncle Cyrus. Yes. Uh, Maybe. Uh, Plato. Okay. No. No. (laughs) Yes. Plato. Oh. Dr. Plato (laughs) Zorba. Oh, right. Zorba. That, yeah. Bequeaths the house to his nephew, mm-hmm. Cyrus. And Cyrus seems like a hardworking man. I know. I'm like, why is this guy broke? Right. But I guess like teachers, is he t- He works for a museum. Yeah. 
Are museum people broke? I don't, I don't know. The guy in the other movie wasn't broke. It's he the worked 1960s. at a museum. He should be able to take care of his family. So right. there is a there's a very interesting story out there about how <laughs> Cyrus lost all of their money. And to like what he was into before. Yeah, because they mentioned him <sighs> getting arrested. Yeah. Or he's like, I don't think I'll get arrested this time. Yeah. So No, because she was like, did you do anything to get uh, in trouble with the police? And he goes, well, not recently. And you're like, What's this guy has doing? seen some stuff. He has. So what kind of life did he li- live I don't know. beforehand? So they move into this house. You meet the law- the estate manager, lawyer. Yes, like a, both. A legal consult. Yes. Ben. He uh, tells them about the house. He signs the papers, blah, blah, blah. They move in. Oh, yeah. And he gets these weird looking glasses, which... The glasses were a weird part of the story. Yeah, because sometimes they needed them and sometimes they didn't. Right. And like you thought, like you see the glasses and you think, oh, okay, anytime a character puts on the glasses. I need to put on the glasses. I need to hold up my viewer. Right. But that's not how it worked. Sometimes they just had scenes with the ghost just kind of like chilling and (laughs) you could use your viewer for that. And it had no bearing on the plot. No. Like they they were, oh, and the ghosts made like stereotypical haunted house moaning sounds, mm-hmm. which were a little uncomfortable sometimes mm-hmm. because let's, I'm going to be honest, they got a little sexual. <laughs> <laughs> it's very weird. It was. It but was. it would just be a shot of the living room and then you'd see some ghosts and mm-hmm. no one's doing anything. There's no, no family around. <laughs> There's no glasses. Just... Watching a ghost behead another ghost. You're like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, this movie has our favorite plot point of people playing with Ouija boards. <laughs> should we have a seance? Yeah, I was I was waiting for them to say that. <laughs> like, oh, we should have a seance. And th- they so matter-of-factly use the Ouija board. Like, they're not even, not even worried about it. They're just Mm-mm. like, oh, yeah, it's a board, and here's a little planchet, and you move this around. The dad and knew. The dad knew, and he was just very matter-of-fact about the yeah. whole thing. No reservations about, like, oh, we're talking to the spirits of the dead. Yeah. And then they said, Ghosts. You would think this is like a Friday night event for them. Yeah. Uh, this was like a dad teaching his children how to use their first Ouija board. Yeah. Yeah. That the kid found in a secret compartment. Yeah, that should have came back. That should have come back. That yeah. should have been where the money was. Right. But it wasn't. No. But the kid also should have known because of the secret passage that maybe there were other ones. Right. To find the monies. Mm-hmm. Uh, the housekeeper, Elaine, was played by Margaret Hamilton, who is most famous for playing the Wicked Witch of the West mm-hmm. in... The Wizard of Oz? I was well, I knew it was the Wizard of Oz, but does Dorothy kill the Wicked Witch of the East? Yeah, I don't know. I think she kills the Wicked Witch of the West. I'm pretty sure. The witch that's not dead in the Wizard of Oz. The the bad witch. Not Glenda the Good Witch. Right, but the one that they the one that Dorothy killed was also bad. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Not the one that she kills, right? That was the Wicked Witch of the West. And then um the new witch takes over. That was her sister that she killed. Right, but she was the Wicked Witch of the East? 
Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Or something like yes. the one that's not yes. dead. Yes. Who is the You're main right. antagonist in The You're Wizard of right. Oz was played by Margaret Hamilton. Yeah. And there are several references in this movie to her being a witch, which I don't know if that was an intentional tongue in cheek reference to The Wizard of Oz. Probably not. Um, I mean, it worked for her character that right. she was a medium or whatever. So at first you think, oh, this this lawyer guy, he's a stand-up guy. He's taken their daughter Medea out, which Medea is not a name that has aged well, thanks to Tyler Perry. Oh, yeah. See, I was thinking Medea, but I, I know I got it wrong, but for some reason I kept thinking Medea was the Greek god is, but that's Medusa. Which is not a Greek nope. goddess no. either. So She is a... I think she's a Gorgon. Okay. This is uh, what private education gets you. Yeah. When you can't learn about Greek myths because then you're going to learn about Other Satan? religions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. You're fully prepared for this. Hey. You got that thorough... Ing- I mean, I didn't remember either, so... <laughs> And I have that massive book that I've been, I slowly been working through. So good job, Nigel. You <laughs> probably just lost the respect of everybody else listening <laughs> to this. Um, but then you find out that Ben is a bad guy because he wants to find the money and he's being all shifty about it. Like he was so creepy to that kid. Yeah, that was a little uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It, he seemed so nice at first, I and know. he shifted immediately i know here is something that i thought was interesting though before we get to ben and continue talking about that so when they're playing with the ouija board the ghosts say that medea is gonna die mm-hmm. and then when cyrus is doing his late night rounds of the house and finds that secret room that had a normal door to it <laughs> so i guess it really wasn't that secret but the sliding door made it seem secret. Mm-hmm. He hears the voice in there saying, 13, 13. And then he's marked right. with the number 13. Right. So who's supposed to be the 13 ghosts? Is that, was that an attempt by William Castle to build suspense for who will be the 13th ghost? Because that is a mystery that they set up in the movie. Mm-hmm. Maybe each one of them could have been the 13th ghost, depending on how, like, the choices they made. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Like, yeah. I just, I I guess I wish then that they would have each been given the opportunity to become the 13th ghost. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like, maybe they each have their own encounter with a ghost that could potentially mark them. Mm-hmm. Well, Medea does. Right. She has that experience with the ghosty in her bedroom. Mm-hmm. And Cyrus does, but the mom and brother do not. Yeah. The closest the brother, Buck, gets to it is in the basement with the with the lion. But the, the lion tamer seems to be more interested in putting yeah. on a show. <laughs> no, he was looking for his head, Nigel. I guess. And, oh, well, I guess the mom deals with the ghost, the 
the Luigi ghost in the kitchen. Yeah, but none of them ever tried to like get them. Like even the the ghost in the kitchen throws the the knife, knife at Cyrus. Right. Yeah. So that was, a, I guess, a missed opportunity. Uh, so then Ben's being all shifty, like we said, and he tries to make a deal with Buck because Buck starts finding money all over the floor. And then we find out through a seance that someone will die tonight. And meanwhile, Ben figures out where... Well, Buck figures out where the money is Mm -hmm. in a secret compartment in the stairs. Tells Ben. Ben takes the money, then tries to kill Buck because, plot twist, Ben killed Uncle Cyrus. I wish we would have gotten a little bit more of that because it seems like Uncle Cyrus... um, Cyrus? No. Plato. Uncle Plato... It seems like Uncle Plato. I think had, I just said that Ben killed Cyrus too. You so did, might yeah. Be. Um, that he had some type of relationship with the housekeeper, and it seems like they were not on speaking terms. But it does seem like he was on speaking terms with Ben. So like, but then obviously Ben killed Uncle Plato. So I just kind of would have liked to have seen that dynamic a little bit more. Yeah, I wish that we would have we would have gotten more backstory to all of that because we get Elaine's version of the story where he liquidated his assets and hid the money in the house, and I guess shut her out. Right. It sounded like, mm-hmm. but she continued to work for him, mm-hmm. and I guess his experiments got really weird, which I would have loved to hear more about that. Right. Because Pla- Plato's whole thing was that he figured out how to see and capture ghosts. Right. In his, within the logic of the movie, mm-hmm. if you can see ghosts, you, you can, can control, control them. them. I mean, I guess it makes sense. And so he captured the ghosts and brought them here, and... Uncle Plato becomes the 12th ghost and he writes a whole book about it, which was really interesting. I liked the bits where the dad Cyrus was talking to his coworker about the book in the Latins. Mm -hmm. But then at the end, when Plato as a ghost kills Ben using the deathbed, (laughs) which why this man has this bed, I don't know. Yeah, that was, that's a good question. (laughs) What was this man into that his bed was like that? Yeah. It, essentially, the canopy of the bed lowers and suffocates someone in the bed. Mm-hmm. And Ben is in the process of trying to kill Buck. But then Plato shows up and pushes Ben onto the bed and Buck gets out. So that's how that goes. Mm-hmm. And they, the family hears Buck screaming and they run out and they're like, oh no, Ben. And they open up the door. Cut to the family counting money at the right, counter. Right. <laughs> so there was a huge, and then they know the whole story. So I would love to know what happened between them going into the room to see what's happening to Ben and counting the money. I just figured Buck told them everything. But when would Buck have known everything? I, I mean, I guess Buck would have, like, told them all about, like, trying to find the treasure and stuff. Right. And I guess they could put, like, connect the dots and or whatever. And he saw um, Ben trying to kill him. Eventually. Because he opened his eyes and he's yeah. like, oh. so see, he knew. 
I just I just don't think Buck knew the whole story, and it seemed like they knew more than they should have. Like, well, what maybe Ben was up to before the ghost told them. No, because remember the ghosts leave at the end. Or do they? they? Free. Well, Elaine says that they're going to come back. Right. And I guess the family's cool with living with ghosts now. How terrible would it be to live with the ghost of the person that I know that tried, tried to kill, to kill you son? and steal your money? Mm-mm. I would not like that. And if this was like any other haunted house movie that had a sequel, you know the sequel would be like Ben trying to still get the money even though he's dead right. type thing. Or, or like possessed him. Buck or something. I don't know. I really thought Buck was going to be the savior of all of this. Like he was going to figure out a way to talk to the ghosts and, and be able to control them because he does so much reading about ghosts. Right. From his books I thought that that would come into it too. But it did not. So the theme that I, I really liked in this and I also really liked in House on Haunted Hill is this idea of like normal things... I'm trying to think of like how to art, how to word it properly, but it's like, like in, in house on haunted Hill, there's the question of whether or not the house is actually haunted. Mm -hmm. And you kind of get the idea at the end that it is Mm -hmm. in this, the audience and the family knows that the house is haunted, but it's still the threat is real people. So I guess this idea of like threats, like real people being threats with the possibility of the supernatural Mm-hmm. And I think that's really interesting, and I would love to see more it, whether or not that creeps up again in William Castle stuff. Yeah, it's a very gothic uh, idea mm-hmm. of haunted houses. Um, it kind of reminds me of. Um, you're gonna say Crimson Peak? Yeah, aren't Crimson you? Peak. Yeah, Crimson Peak is in that same vein of like the gothic story, mm-hmm. where the ghosts aren't really the bad guys. Right. Um, I think Turn of the Screw is the same way, but I'll be honest, it's been a long time since I've read that one, and The Haunting of Bly Manor did not help me remember it. (laughs) So, I thought that was interesting. That is interesting. A concept I have not really thought about. Yeah, well, I feel like like. so like so many haunted house movies today are like, how do we, how do we, um, how do we subvert expectations of like what a haunted house movie is mm-hmm. today? And the default, it falls back on, Oh, we need to help this ghost with X problem. And then it can move on to the afterlife. And then they do that. And it turns out that the ghost is actually still really evil and mm-hmm. they don't actually have to help it. Or uh, like in the insidious franchise, it's like, it's not the house that's haunted. It's your child. <laughs> and you got to deal with that crap. All right. Do you have anything else that you want to add about the haunting of the house and interesting things that the movie tries to do? Um, no, I, I really loved this movie from start to finish. I like how you think Ben is a ghost because um, you don't see his face. So you just kind of see this man wearing sneakers and and um torn pants but you so you are supposed to think he's a ghost but at the same time he doesn't look like any of the ghosts that you've ever seen so it's just very interesting yeah that was kind of a weird i guess like giveaway that it wasn't really a ghost 
Mm-hmm. And then, like, at the end, they're like, oh, yeah, that was so-and-so that, or that was Ben that Medea saw in her room that night. Right. No big deal. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, he was going to kill her then, I'm thinking. I, I think he was trying to frighten her. I don't, I'm Maybe. guessing Ben didn't actually believe that the house was haunted. And that's why he mm. thought he had to take things into his own hands to scare her. Maybe. But if he was working so closely with the uncle, you would think he would have known it was haunted. Right. So I'm not so sure. Yeah, I don't know. Plato had this like weird inner circle with Elaine, the housekeeper slash medium and Ben. And clearly something happened with him and like where he realized that Ben was coming after his money. But also they paint Plato as like this weird eccentric who was experimenting with dangerous things, which I'd still love to know a lot about. Right. We need a prequel. Yeah, we need some kind of prequel to it. But I thought overall this movie was so fun, and I think it it kind of brought joy back into watching. Not that I don't enjoy watching movies, but it brought joy into watching movies for me. It was like... I love this. This is such a cool idea. Yeah. Something different, something silly. Yeah. And I think that that's is sometimes what we need. I would be really curious to know if at the time this was a genuinely scary movie for people or if people knew that it was kind of silly, kind of like how we look at certain horror comedies and stuff. Like it's not it not at all like a comedy. I mean, I guess Buck's kind of funny, but I don't remember laughing at anything that he did. Right. You're very drawn into the entirety of the story. Mm-hmm. And I realized that, like, I mean, even for 1960, I feel like you'd have to be blind not to see the strings <laughs> lifting up, like, the milk jug or things like that. Right. But were people, was was this, like, so new that, like, people were engrossed in it? Like, mm-hmm. Obviously, Psycho came out around this time, so they had things that could scare them. Right. But I guess I just want to know, like, were ghosts scary at the time, or did they just, like... I mean, William obviously, William Castle, like, made Mm B-movies, and he knew that he was making Mm B-movies, but did his gimmicks elevate these to the point of being scary for some people or was it just like silly fun and like the gimmick was all part of that Mm -hmm. yeah i would be very curious to see how this movie was uh received received in the context of its time right i kind of feel like i'll have to do some more research but i i have a feeling that people probably thought that these movies were silly for the time. Mm -hmm. And that's okay because it sounds like he made them fun to watch. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, the deepest thing that we pulled out of it was, you know, oh, it's like a gothic horror. There's not too much there. Right. Um, I guess we could talk about the psychology of desperation when you have no furniture. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was an interesting part of the film where, You know, you look at this and you think, get out of there. Why is this family continuing to stay in this home? But really, what were their options? Right. It's not even like they could go back to their other house because they didn't have that other house anymore. Right. And 
initially they're told if they leave the house that the house will go to the state. Mm -hmm. Like the will stipulates that they have to stay there, Mm -hmm. which is a weird thing. But I guess maybe the uncle wanted them to look after the ghost with Elaine. But then why not just give Elaine the house? I don't know. Or maybe he thought that Ben would take advantage of her. So like the family is a buffer. There's a lot of questions I have about stuff. and, And I think there's a lot of inferences we can make. But nothing, I think, set in stone, which kind of I like, Mm -hmm. I guess. Well, I think that William Castle's movies have an interesting point, too, when it comes to money. Because think about the other film. the House on the Haunted Hill. Yeah. They were having those people come and how long would you stay there for, you know, X amount of money? Right, yeah. And now in this one, you know... Hey, if you stay, you get a house with furniture Mm -hmm. and, you know, I I think that's kind of interesting, kind of, he's kind of, and maybe I'm putting words in his mouth and giving him way more credit than he deserves, but it's interesting to think that that's potentially something he was thinking about. Hey, what would people do for money? What are people willing to do for money? How are they able to put their family in danger for money, you know? Yeah. And for his, his, uh, first gimmick, he said, Hey, uh, come here and die. And then your family gets money. <laughs> right. So I don't know. I find that very fascinating. Yeah. Um, I wish that I would have written down more of the plots of these movies because then it would be easier for us yeah. to know, like, is that a common theme? Right. In his stuff. I and think we'll just have to watch all of his stuff. I think we will. I think there is a William Castle set out there that we should get our hands on. Uh, yeah, definitely. Because uh, I uh, so far I've enjoyed everything. Uh, yeah. Actually, I might have some more in that horror set that I have. Well, let's get on it. Yeah. I'll have to take a look at that. <sighs> I kind of feel bad that... Uh, Next week we're going to be, well, we might have to look at, re-evaluate the schedule. Yeah, we can be flexible. We can try to be flexible, but next week for certain, and I'll remind you guys in a couple minutes, we are definitely doing the remake of this, 13 Ghosts, with uh, Matthew Lillard and Tony Shalhoub and uh, um, Shannon Elizabeth, which we've watched and we've talked about doing on here before but we have not actually gotten to it, and now we have an excuse. We will be doing some comparing and contrasting next week, so settle in for that. But for now, let's hop over to the dating corner. Well, (laughs) this movie didn't have a lot going on with it. What are you talking about? Medea went on that whole date with Ben that we got to experience in its entirety. Nope. (laughs) But I have some dating advice that I feel like my brother will laugh at if he ever listens to this episode and uh, enjoy. If your brother has suspicions about the guy you are dating or if your brother is told by the guy to keep a secret, you should dump that guy. Unprovided the <laughs> secret isn't like a surprise party. Right, right, right. If it's just a secret he wants to keep between the two of you, dump him. Or 
yeah, I don't know how you would find out if there was a secret um, just between the two of them. Because your brother should tell you because you should have good siblings that always love and support you. But like, don't what if what if it was like you? an engagement? That, okay, that's like a surprise party. Same thing. So your brother should say, hey. No, no, no. So I'm saying surprise party. Something that you're going to find out about is fine. You can keep that secret. If it's something that you're never going to find out about, your brother should tell you. But how, I guess I'm just wondering, like, how do you find out whether or not you're going to find it? Because, like, Buck was certain that he, like, they were going to know. Like, like Ben had tricked them into fig- into true. thinking that, did. that they would tell them well, in the morning. You always have to tell your sibling secrets then. Sorry. Then maybe your boyfriend shouldn't tell your sibling secrets. So this is another reason why surprise parties are the worst. Stupid. Right. So. All right. There's the moral of the story. Surprises Don't keep are secrets. stupid. What? <laughs> we were on different pages. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't. <laughs> Don't don't keep secrets. Don't keep secrets. And surprises are stupid. Yes, I would agree. <laughs> Mostly. I mean, Christmas is a good surprise. Can be. Mm-hmm. Um, winning money is a good surprise. So maybe not all surprises are stupid, but don't keep secrets. Don't keep secrets. I guess, Moral of the story. I guess the official stance of Bad Movie Date Night is... Not to keep secrets. Exactly. <laughs> um, okay. I have a question for you, though. No. Yes. Okay. What, like, if your spouse inherited a mansion, like the one in this film. Correct. Which, by the way, can we just talk about the how, how in a movie about a mansion filled with ghosts, the... Dad took the time to ask about insurance and taxes. Yeah. (laughs) He he knew what he had to get into. Uh, Would you move into it? Uh, Just a mansion? Like the one in this movie. Oh, I mean, probably. It depends on how far away it is. Like a gothic-style mansion, do you think? maybe. I mean, if it was like like in the family for a long time, like even if it was like an estranged family member, I feel like... You know, we'd live. The families always live there, so let's keep it in the family. You, you know? would, you would do it just because you could have like a secret passageway to somewhere. I mean, there's no guarantee <laughs> that there would be a secret passageway, <laughs> but like that'd be. I'm not saying I wouldn't like that. Right. Okay. Okay. Would you? Uh no. 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 But you I'd told sell me it for money. You told me specifically while we were watching Ghosts. That you could clean a whole <laughs> mansion in an hour. Okay, that is a true statement, but it doesn't mean I'd want to live in one. <laughs> no, but like, what pass. if what if it was like what if it was like the rules of the movie? If you don't live in the house, like it goes to the state. Like, what if selling it wasn't an option? Then it would go to the state, or you just let it go to, to the somebody, state. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's okay. I don't want to live in a mansion. It's creepy, and they had gothic furniture, and no. Yeah, we could re- we could sell the furniture and replace it with stuff that we like. Yeah, you, you know maybe. how much those antique furnitures would go for. True, true, maybe. Just, you know, put together a keep pile, a maybe pile, and a get rid of pile. <laughs> I'd do it if you wanted to. 
you'd have that house decluttered in like half a That's day. my problem. I don't like to have a lot of stuff and you give me a mansion. <sighs> There's so much things I have to take care of. You know how I like to fill up a trash bag of Goodwill stuff once a month? Yeah, I could I'm do that, that every st- day at I'm the mansion. I'm surprised <laughs> that we still have stuff for you to put in a, to fill a gra- it's, trash it's bag. It's like a exciting challenge for me. It's like I already got rid of so much stuff. What can I get rid of now? It's just like it's that addicting. episode of Family Guy. Yeah. But just like it. No, I'm not going to get rid of you. Calm down. Okay, but we'll see. <laughs> right, there you go. Don't keep secrets. Don't keep secrets <laughs> and move into a mansion at your own risk? Question mark. Yes. Kayla, is this movie going to go on your top 10? I I don't think so, but it is a fantastic film. And uh, I think everyone should check it out. Yes. Is it cheesy today by today's standards? Yes. But is it a good story and is it a fun gimmick? Yes. Absolutely. I think I would rather rewatch this than House on Haunted Hill, but I've also seen House on Haunted Hill more times than I care to admit. I would watch either of them any day. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're both great movies, but um, I think I would re- rather rewatch this one. Okay. Fair enough. And that's all I have to say about 13 Ghosts. Next week, we are talking about the 2001 remake called The 13 Ghosts. It was one of those movies where they put the number 13 instead of letters in it, mm. and it looks stupid. Yeah, that sounds stupid. Kind of like fanfortistic or fanforstic <laughs> or however they had it spelled. Yeah. Uh, and that's all I have to say about that. Thank you for listening, as always. We encourage your audience to hit that subscribe button in Apple Podcast or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts so that you never miss an episode. We're on Instagram and Twitter at Journey Into Film. I am going to try to post more this year, so you might want to start following me. And if you want to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash a journey into film or head over to TeePublic and check out some sweet merch. Links are available in the show notes. And as always, never let anyone tell you a film you enjoy is bad because they're probably wrong. Catch you next time.